When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. A Lifetime Original Podcast. It's January 13th, 2006. Friday the 13th. Police in Buenos Aires are on edge. They're stationed outside of one of Argentina's largest financial institutions, Banco Rio. The tan two-story building holds tens of millions of dollars in its vault. And right now, it's being robbed. Five men dressed in costumes are holding 23 hostages inside. Sharpshooters are stationed at every window, waiting for an opportunity to take the armed robbers out. And news cameras are setting up to broadcast the whole thing live. They catch a glimpse of one of the robbers, their main contact inside the bank. They call him the man in the gray suit. Police can tell he's in way over his head, but the man in the gray suit isn't ready to give up just yet. He asks for pizza and soda to be brought to them, a last offering before they surrender. And then he goes silent. Three hours pass without word from the robbers. Everyone is on edge, wondering what is taking so long. Police have no choice but to bust in guns blazing and hope that nobody gets hurt. They kick down the door and swarm the bank lobby. Hostages are scattered all over. None of them are hurt. But there's no sign of the robbers. They seem to have evaporated into thin air. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. So, how did a group of masked burglars disappear under the police's noses? Well, it began like it ended, with a puff of smoke. Except this time, it was a puff of cannabis smoke in an art studio. It's 2003. We're in Argentina, and we want to introduce you to Fernando Arujo, who is, quote, the happiest man on earth. He just took a sabbatical to focus solely on art. It sounds nice, frankly. I mean... I'd be happy too. Yeah, of course. Um, He's holing up every night in this very, very, very tiny studio. It's about 165 square feet. He is working with visual arts. He is also working with cannabis arts. And he is also doing some martial arts. Probably more eclectic than what you were picturing. He's also an author. He's actually writing a book about cannabis at the time. And 
he's really dedicated to his craft. He's a dedicated researcher. So he's also smoking a fair amount of cannabis at this time as well. Yeah, so he's stoned and he's painting and writing and doing karate moves. You know, I, I don't know. He's letting his creative juices flow. And when you get as high as Fernando, you start to really think about the big picture. You know, like, what is art? <laughs> like, art can be a painting, obviously. Karate, sure. Why not? It could also be a true crime podcast. At least we like to think so. But what about a true crime? And that gets him thinking, hmm, maybe a good heist can be art, too. It's like a light bulb goes off in his head. Fernando gets obsessed with the idea of a heist as a form of art. Yeah, he's thinking about this all the time. He even goes to his psychologist and tells them about this idea. And I'm just imagining him sitting there with these extremely bloodshot eyes and like surrounded by a haze of smoke being like a heist. That's art, right? And his psychologist was like, listen, you need to stop smoking so much. You sound nutso. (laughs) But he gets this idea in his head and he just keeps thinking about it. Now, Fernando does not have a criminal background, but he just can't let go of this idea. And slowly it becomes less and less of an idea and more and more of a plan. He doesn't want to use weapons. That's not his style. His motto is intelligence over gunpowder. And for that, frankly, I'm a fan. Yeah, he knows that if you just go to the front desk of a bank and demand the money, that within seconds they're going to hit a button that calls the police. You're just, you're done for. But a good heist with no weapons, that really needs to be creative and innovative if you're going to get away with it. And remember, for him, this is about the art of doing this. He wants the heist to be beautiful. He wants it to feel like some sort of, I don't know, like a performance piece. So then he gets this idea. What if I break into a bank through a tunnel? And he's like, I don't really know how to dig a tunnel because that's maybe not You know, he's not experienced in that. This guy writes a book on cannabis. He's not like an engineer. He needs an engineer. And lucky for him, he actually knows one. Sebastian Garcia Bolster is a law-abiding citizen and friend of Fernando's. They actually grew up together. And the two of them used to go on vacations together. It sounds kind of fun. And frankly, it's also kind of like our relationship, Quinn. Completely. The exact same. Sebastian tinkers with engines. That's his thing. He's an electronic technician, both by trade and by hobby. He actually started his own motorcycle shop, which evolved into a jet ski shop. I feel like that's a really natural progression there because you're like, all right, I'm, I'm making motorcycles, which is extra cool. What's cooler than a motorcycle? A motorcycle you drive on the water. Not only that, you can also throw a little inner tube on there. You could get some good tubing done. You could drag your pal around with you, you Uh, know, make it a friendship. Yeah. Friendship jet ski. Well, speaking of friendship jet ski, there's a few reasons Fernando goes to Sebastian. Um, As you highlighted, they are friends. They have a history. So presumably he would trust him. But he also thinks Sebastian is a really intelligent innovator. And he also happens to know from Sebastian's history that he has a bone to pick with the financial system because Sebastian's dad and grandpa actually lost all their money in financial crashes, and he blames the banks for the struggles that he endured growing up. So when Fernando tells him about this plan, Sebastian's like, you know what? 
The banks have totally screwed me and my family for years. I have no criminal history whatsoever. I've never dabbled in crime my entire life. But you know what? I'm in. However, Sebastian does have two requests. His first request is that they do not use weapons, which is music to Fernando's ears. And second, the plan must be absolutely perfect. He is not taking any chances. And Fernando, frankly, wouldn't have it any other way. Fernando chooses a bank in the neighborhood where he grew up. It's on the corner of Libertador Avenue and Peru Street. It's the Banco Rio in Acasuso. It's just north of Buenos Aires. He then rents a house just a few blocks away from the bank, and he begins mapping out how to access it via an underground tunnel. He and Sebastian get to work right away. They are troubleshooting every element of this heist. They are doing their homework and then some. They take this very seriously. We talked about this a couple episodes ago, but it is always comforting when these robbers work hard and are diligent about the work. Like, we really appreciate a job well done. And that's what they're doing. Absolutely. As for how large the tunnel needs to be, it occurs to Fernando that maybe the tunnels they need might actually already exist. Buenos Aires has this big underground sewage system that has plenty of tunnels. And he notices on the street of the bank that there's a bunch of manholes right next to the bank. So when he explores the tunnels under the bank, he discovers that it leads to a river outlet. He starts to explore the sewage tunnels beneath the city, and this plan starts to really crystallize. They begin measuring the tunnel depths and distance to each entry point, mapping it. And Fernando's kind of musing that, you know, all this math that he learned in school, that you're, of course, like, I'm never going to need that. I'm never going to use that for anything practical. Well, guess what? Now it's all really coming in handy. Do you mean like A squared plus B squared equals C squared? Yeah, like the like the pathetic theorem. Is that... That's math, right? It's, you know what, for you, always right. But if any children are listening, what are you doing listening to this podcast? But also it's called the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, that was going to be my second guess. Anyway, they're making very, very detailed mathematical maps with various measurements and calculations and, I don't know, theorems. So the men calculate how to drill 15 meters diagonally into the bank. And that is not easy. They start to build this tunnel and the work is grueling. They drill for hours. And at the end of this, what they have to show for it is a fist-sized hole. I want to make a joke here, but I'm going to keep going. So then they bring in a 220-watt generator in order (laughs) to use an electro-pneumatic drill. What is an electro-pneumatic drill? It's like basically a jackhammer. I can't. We're like talking about fist-sized holes, drills, and jackhammers. You know what? Don't go there. Don't stoop that low. That is, But that is A squared plus B squared equals joke, okay? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to withhold my Pythagorean theorem of joke. But here we go. So every night, like clockwork, Sebastian is going there and he's just drilling. He keeps drilling. And his wife doesn't suspect what he's up to, but she thinks that he actually has a mistress, which it's kind of funny because he is doing a lot of drilling, you know? (laughs) After doing all this work in the tunnels, Fernando realizes that, you know, this art project they're working on, it really needs a name. I mean, he could call it Untitled Heist with the uh, with the subheading, I don't know, charcoal, paper, weed, and bicycle on large bank structure. 
But, you know, instead, he decides to name it the Donatello Project, which is an homage, of course, to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because think about it, Sebastian and Fernando, they travel the sewers just like the turtles. The turtles are all named after artists, and he fancies himself quite the artist with this heist. The turtles are green, like his uh, favorite thing, cannabis. And also, they all do martial arts, just like Fernando. This is the perfect culmination. This is all his hobbies combine into a title for his masterpiece. It's a remarkable origin story um, for a heist that there's these two guys that have really, like, not not really criminal records, not really even criminal intent in this right. way that's like, can we pull this off? It's like their midlife crisis a little bit. Which feels so much better than, like, getting a hot new car. But although I don't know. this yeah, could you, yield a, a hot new car, frankly, with all the money that they're trying to get. Yeah, you can buy a lot of weird stuff after you rob a bank. Sebastian and Fernando have been working for months on this project. And unfortunately, they are running out of money. Because you know what? Drilling ain't cheap. And they're pretty physically exhausted as well because drilling is tiring. And it's time to take the Donatello project to the next level. So they need to recruit more members. They need to have a team. So the first guy that they recruit is Doc. Now, Doc is a lawyer, but also has contacts of the criminal sort. So, questionable fellow, but he hooks Fernando and Sebastian up with a man named Beto. Career crook Ruben Beto de la Torre is this adrenaline junkie, and he's already done time for armed robbery, so this is sort of up his alley. He's got some experience. He's going to be the muscle of this operation. Now, while Beto and Doc are participating in this heist, they're not as dedicated as Fernando is, right? Fernando is pouring his heart, his soul into this art project. And so he feels like he needs someone who is equally invested in this project. Enter the character of Luis Mario Vitete Salinas, or Marito. Marito used to belong to what he calls a Spider-Man gang, and they were called that because they would climb buildings, which sounds very Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. This is obviously the right guy for the job. And they would, like, peek in windows and case joints out to see where people kept their good stuff, and then they would rob them. Now, Marito is 65 years old. So maybe he's not on sabbatical. He's, like, near retirement age, right? And he's a self-proclaimed scrutinizer. He knows about locks. He knows about jewels. He knows about breaking into safes. He's like kind of has, like, a little bit of knowledge about everything that you would need for this heist. By the way, Quinn, what is a scrutinizer? Someone that scrutinizes. Ah, thank you. Really? Now, when they meet, Fernando and Marito aren't really sure if they can trust each other yet. Marito is a seasoned criminal, and Fernando is obviously an amateur at best. He's not really even a bank robber. He's just a guy that has a big art project. But despite their differences, Marito is willing to put 24-7, just like Fernando is, into working this heist. And he has money so he can help fund this project. He spends hours in the sewer with Fernando, and they're drilling, and they're drinking mate, and they're getting to know each other. And... Fernando doesn't really say so, but I assume he's charmed by Marito, who's a total character and, in my opinion, pretty charming guy, actually. And so pretty quickly, Marito's hesitation also turns into respect as he comes to the realization that Fernando 
is kind of this crazy genius. Now, this is a long-term investment, this art project. You know, this isn't something you can DIY over the weekend, like Quinn's holiday decorations. No, no, no. Rude, takes, but true. <laughs> but true. <laughs> this takes the crew around a year's time to prepare the tunnels below and to drill the hole that will eventually lead into the vault. And we've said it once. We've said it before. We love prep time, you know? We do. We love prep time. Yeah. We enjoy robbers who put their energy into their work. So then these guys, they design a mini hydraulic to open the safety deposit boxes. It can open a box in seven seconds, and no one will be able to hear it. And they call it the power cannon. Going after boxes is a smart tactical call because after Several financial crashes in Argentina, there's a lot of trust that's been lost between folks and banks, so a bunch of rich people are keeping all their savings in safety deposit boxes rather than accounts. So this is this is smart. So at first, Fernando thinks that once they get the loot into the tunnel, that they can easily head out towards the river outlet that they found earlier. But then he starts to realize, well, if the police know we're in the sewer, that that's exactly what they'll expect us to do. So then he gets this idea, what if we actually go deeper into the city? The cops can't possibly wait on every corner and watch every single manhole. And besides, all eyes will be on the bank at the time that they get out. So that also means that they have their choice of what spot to surface from. So they start to prepare mentally as well for this heist. What that looks like is they're going to be studying tactics and techniques that are used in hostage situations, and they're going to listen on police radios. They want to try to get into the head of those that they'll be up against, the police. Next, they hired their getaway driver. It's this guy called Julian Zayoecavaria. He's known as El Paisano. They also hire a guy known only as the kid just to play the part of a burglar. So there are now seven of them in total. Ocean 7, if you will, or what I like to refer to them as Sewers 7. Oh, that's good. So Sewer 7, they buy a, an old van and they customize it so that it has a floor hatch so that they can park it above a manhole and then they can climb directly into the vehicle without ever going onto the street or being seen. So Beto, Fernando, Sebastian, Marito, and Julian are busy at work at the home of Beto. Now, Beto doesn't live there alone. He lives there with his wife, Alicia. And she's there. She's watching. So the men see her watching. They're like, what the heck? I mean, it's pretty obvious that this whole thing needs to be top secret. And so the introduction of somebody new is going to put all of them really on edge. But Beto, he's been with Alicia for 18 years and presumably trusts her. After all, she is the mother of their young son and the stepmother of his older son. So I guess it's going to be Sewers 8. Mm -hmm. Not the sequel. Right. <laughs> I got to say, Sewers 7 felt right. And, you know, Alicia's not a part of the heist, but she's in the know. So, you know, it's not quite Sewers 8, but it feels like Sewers 8, you know? Yeah, but like Sewers 7 sounds so much better. And frankly, I like the alliteration of Sewers 7. Lucky number seven. You know, it just works. Yeah, it's alarming to see new people around. Not that she's necessarily on board, but she's a witness. When anyone else knows what you're doing, you're upping the risk pretty substantially. 
And we know, we know that these guys are planners, they're thinkers. They don't feel great when this dude's wife shows up. They're like, hey, bro, read the room. We were not issuing plus ones for this event. Yeah, it's like showing up to a wedding with a plus one and you didn't get that invite. They don't have a place setting for you or your date. No, and they're making the face of of someone that's throwing a wedding and someone walked in with a plus one they weren't issued. That's the face all those guys made. Exactly. And I think like a really good analogous situation to that is like the plus one that you brought is someone you've been dating for a week. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't have the credentials to be there. She's not a criminal. Also, they didn't vet her. And also keep in mind, they've been working on this for a year. Years. Years. And then it's kind of like, hey, hey, meet my meet my partner, meet my wife. But at the same time, Quinn, I mean – What's the worst that could happen? You know, she's just one little extra tiny little person. What could possibly go wrong? Another year goes by. Fernando has now been working on the Donatello project for two years. The team is assembled, the hole is dug, the getaway vehicle is waiting. It's now or never. It's game time. And they choose the spooky date of Friday, January 13th, 2006. That's right, Friday the 13th. It's a bold move, man, but I gotta tell you, art is bold. So Sebastian goes through the drain to the awaiting boats. He climbs the hole up to the bank and he waits for his signal. Uh, The getaway driver, Julian, parks the van on top of the escape manhole. Alicia drops her husband, Beto, off at the bank and leaves the car where she's supposed to. Marito and the kid get all dressed up in suits, and they meet outside the bank at a coffee shop, where they put glue on their fingers so that they can obscure any fingerprints they'll leave. Then they drive a stolen car into the bank parking garage and block the entrance and exit. In the bank, the bank guard, Walter Serrano, turns on the security cameras. He's just arrived at work. Doc is in a ski mask, and Beto is in an oversized lab coat, and they're the first to enter the bank. There is a gun at Beto's waist. Now, I know we said there were no guns, and we didn't lie to you. This is a toy gun that he took from his son's room that morning. Beto pulls out the toy gun, yells, freeze, and goes for a security guard. Beto orders everyone on the floor, and the security guard at this point has already sounded the alarm. The police get the call at 12.38 p.m. Finally, our mastermind, Fernando, parks a stolen car in front of the bank with tire spikes and oil cans in the back seat, and he leaves the hazards on. What he's doing is trying to make it look like this is the intended getaway car, so it has the supplies that a lot of people would use if that were the case. Fernando enters the bank in a ski mask, blonde wig, and baseball cap with sunglasses. And this sounds pretty ridiculous looking, to be honest, but apparently it's good enough that it fools Beto, who sees Fernando come in in this getup and runs over panicked, and Fernando has to kind of stop him and be like, hey, hey. It's me. It's like, Beto, get it together. (laughs) Meanwhile, the kid and Marito have entered the bank and have gone up to the second floor and are doing the same hold-up shtick upstairs. Marito jumps the glass-topped bank counter and yells, The money! Let's go! Except in Spanish. 
Listen, this is very exciting stuff. I feel I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm watching an episode of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Totally. I'm engaged. But this is just the prologue, my friend. And now comes what Fernanda refers to as stage one of the plan. Cuckoo. Stage like it wasn't one. Cuckoo already. <laughs> like we're not already like, what's happening? This stage one is called cuckoo. Stage one. Fernando takes a hostage. He waits for the first police car to arrive on the scene, and then he pretends that he wants to leave with the hostage. But the police are obviously not going to let him go. They're not ready to confront this situation and allow him to leave with a, with a hostage, so they have to instruct him to go back into the bank. But that's all just a bluff. He wants that to happen. What is important is establishing that the burglars don't intend to escape in any direction other than out the front. Step two is closing the bank door. Easy enough. The front door is secure and the parking garage has already been blocked off. Then stage three is to take out the security guard in the basement, Walter. Not kill him, not take him out like that. Just take him out of the equation. Remember, there's no violence. The burglars take the bank operations manager and a hostage down to the basement and they tell Walter to surrender. But he refuses and he will not open the vault door to them. But the burglars have planned for this, mm, sort of. Their plan is to cover the windows with spray paint so that Walter can't see what's happening beyond the window and just start pounding on them. And that will hopefully scare him enough or drive him crazy enough that he'll leave. But first, Marito kind of goes a little rogue. He pushes the bank manager's face up to the door of the vault and he tells Walter, I give you my word as an old thief. I will release you immediately. And so Walter's standing there on the other side of this locked basement door, looking through the glass and the bars and wondering what he should do next. Because this is really, this is do or die. Not just for Walter, but the robbers too. Their plan isn't going to work if they don't get into the vault. That's where the hole leads. Meanwhile, the operations manager tells Walter that she hasn't spent any time with her grandchild and she wants to live to do that. And for Walter, like, I can't even imagine what his mind is going through. Like, that's a lot to take on. And this woman's life is far more important than the money he's supposed to be protecting in the vault. So Walter says, please do not harm the hostages. He opens the door and he surrenders his gun and his phone to the robbers. Marito does keep his word and escorts Walter back out to the street where they do release him. And they even give him back his gun. Of course, they've removed the bullets. His phone, they keep because that is going to come in handy. I also want to make a note that part of the reason they wanted to get Walter out of there, remove him from the equation entirely, was because he had a gun. They wanted to make absolutely certain that there were no real guns at all during the Donatello project. Everything seems to be going along according to plan. So at this point, all of the guys sort of break off from one another to do their individual jobs. Doc goes to smash a wall in, which feels like Wreck-It Ralph vibes, but Doc goes to smash a wall in for Sebastian, who's waiting just inches away in the tunnel under the bank. Beto and Kid, they're dealing with the hostages. Marito is now the negotiator. So he goes to the window and he shows the police that he has Walter's phone. And so they now have a direct line of communication to the world. So the cops then use that phone number and call him. 
it was the plan that Doc and Marito would handle this call. But Marito, he's really, I don't know if you can tell, but a bit of a ham. He's really perfectly suited for the role of negotiator. Nothing phases <laughs> him. He has a past prison sentence. I, rumor has it he's done some acting classes. He does definitely bring a costume for the job. He wears a gray suit, fake glasses, a fake mustache, and a yarmulke. And he knows that they can spot him through the windows. So this is like his look, he's decided. The first call, though, that he gets on this phone is Walter's wife. She's seen the news. She knows what's going on. And she's freaked out. So Marito's first task is just to calm her down and explain, we've already released your husband. I have his phone. He's safe. He's not in the bank. Do you think she was calmed by that? (laughs) Talking to the robbers and like, (laughs) don't worry. Don't worry. I just have his phone. He's safe. Meanwhile, the other men are walking around the bank disabling the security cameras so that they can get the power cannon from the parking garage without anyone seeing. They don't want the police to have any clue about what they're up to inside. In the vault, Doc can hear Sebastian on the other side of the wall just whacking away behind the shelf. So Doc then moves the shelf aside and boom, he can see this like little hole in the wall and Sebastian is on the other side. I can't imagine the relief they must have felt like, this is working. It worked. It worked. <laughs> like, here, we know we know math. We know theorems. Yeah. Sebastian then heads over to the safety deposit boxes and judges sort of which is going to be the easiest to blow. The goal of theirs is to open 400 boxes in two hours. That's like three boxes per minute. Yeah, that's wild. Well, 3.3 repeating, if I were to be honest. But I... All right. Now you're showing okay. off. All right. Sorry. The police are outside waiting for demands from these robbers. And at long last, the designated negotiator, Miguel Angel Cilio, arrives. And he gets on the phone with Marito, who tells him, look, this is just an in-and-out robbery. It's gone wrong. We do not want to hurt anybody or go to jail. Let's just try to figure this out. Miguel asks Marito to let another hostage go because at this point they have 23 people inside with them. And Marito says, no, we just let Walter go. And he hangs up. (laughs) Pretty aggressive. But, you know, the cops are nervous. They want to buy more time, which is actually really ironic because that is exactly what the thieves want, too. They want to buy more time. So time keeps ticking. And all the while, Sebastian is armed with this power cannon opening these safety deposit boxes as fast as he can because every second counts. The robbers have planned for everything, and in doing so, they actually have a leg up because they have scanned with a radio and they found the frequency where the head of the police's anti-terrorism unit, Falcon Group, is communicating with the hidden snipers. Now, the robbers are obviously freaked out, knowing that they could potentially get a bullet in their head at any moment. So then they tell the police to get the snipers out of there. Then one of the hostages they have starts complaining. He has to go pee really badly. So they're like, you know, go pee. But he has stage fright, so he can't pee in front of them. And he starts doing this, like, really loud, annoying, complaining thing about it. And weirdly enough, they're so annoyed and don't really know what to do. He's driving them crazy. They just release him. They're like, get out of here. I'm driving us nuts. But, like, what do you do? You leave and then you have to find a bathroom with, like, privacy? Like, what's the end game for the guy who can't pee? Right, because he walks out and right away they're probably, like, wanting to ask him about the situation he's like, in there. I and got, he's like, I just have to pee. Leave me I alone. Imagine, I imagine, like, Forrest Gump. I gotta pee. <laughs> and then he just starts driving the cops crazy. 
Well, this is a weird move, but it's actually a smart move, too, because Fernando tells the team, we must look nervous and stupid, like we're losing control. He also says that by doing things like releasing these hostages for reasons like they gotta go pee is fine because they want people at home watching to have sympathy for them. Then they discover that one of the hostages is pregnant. And they release her as well, which again, I think just tells us they really don't want anyone to be hurt or, you know, they don't want to affect this pregnant woman in any negative way. The whole country is watching this and Marito actually becomes really popular on the news for his sort of crazy antics. Because the police have already clocked him through the window, he becomes known only as the man in the gray suit. I think it's so interesting the fact that he's playing dumb to give the police this false sense of security, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like letting people go. Well, he's letting people go. Oh, sure. He's like, and and he just wants to look fumbling, but he actually, the whole plan is mapped out in his mind. Right. And these are moments where I don't even know how tightly they planned, like, how many hostages to release or or a timeline for releasing them. Once again, they're just sort of, their job right now is to waste the police's time, which is a fun job. And I think Marito is probably the guy having the most fun because he's the guy whose job it is to waste their time and be on the phone with them and find reasons to chat. Like I said, he's really a ham, but he's also tactically intelligent. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what I think is so interesting about this is he has to play the role of kind of like a dunce burglar who's losing control. But the whole time, he has the police right exactly where he wants them. In fact, one of the tactics that he uses is he calls the police and he's like, hey, listen, we don't want a reprise of the Ramayo gunfight, which was this hostage negotiation that happened years before that had gone really wrong. Yeah, six years ago in Argentina, there was a bank heist and the cops got super anxious about what to do. And they made a pretty questionable, controversial call, which is that when the robbers fled the bank, they were using hostages to shield themselves and the police opened fire and they killed one of the robbers, but they also killed two hostages. So this was a horrible scandal and it was magnified because like this heist, it's unfolding live in people's homes. It's on television. People watched that happen. Like that is a huge stain of embarrassment on the police at this point. And so they're doing everything they can to not recreate this. Yes. And the burglars that are robbing the bank right now, they're well aware that this has to be on the police's, on their minds. This is recent history and it's going to impact how they make decisions in dealing with these robbers during this heist. It's been two hours and they have 143 boxes they've opened. It's time to call it. But that's less than 400, Quinn. That's significantly less than four. Okay, it's a lot of boxes. That's a lot of boxes and they feel happy with it. Don't rain on their parade. Do not rain on their box parade. So (laughs) they say, look, we're ready to surrender. But before we got to go to jail and we got to eat that terrible food, we've got this last request. Bring us some pizza. Bring us some soda. We're going to have a little food. Then we'll surrender. And I think this has to be a nod to um, probably Michelangelo. I mean, all the all the turtles were known to like pizza. But Michelangelo, he was the one that loved pizza, right? I, I mean, they all did. I just remember the cheese, the image of the, the single 
you know, stretchy cheese, that whole pizza. Ugh, I'm hungry just thinking about it. I just love all the turtle through lines in this. Also, for instance, slow and steady wins the race. Listen, they didn't open the 400, Carrie, you're right. But they were slow, they were steady, they didn't make a mistake yet. Two years of planning this thing. And they sat there, they bought the time they needed to do the crime. And maybe the police are, are thinking too fast. They're the hare that doesn't realize the turtle has passed you. You're in trouble. Do you think that when they get their money, they're going to put it in a shell company? <laughs> <laughs> honestly, oh, I wish the I fact, that one. honestly, the fact that we've been going on and on about this and haven't had a lot of turtle puns feels like a little bit off-brand for us at this it point. It feels like a gift to the audience, so, frankly. You're welcome. While the police organize this fun pizza party for the robbers, the robbers, meanwhile, are splashing chlorine throughout the bank to cover up any of their DNA. They also toss a bag of hair collected from a barber shop across the whole crime scene, which I just think is just absolutely brilliant. And another thing they do to slow them down is they spread the hostages throughout the two floors of the bank. And they tell them, listen, hang tight. The gang needs to have a meeting. Don't move or, you know, we got to kill you. <laughs> then they go gather by the hole to lower the loot. And once they all go through the hole, they pull the shelf back in front of it so that if you were to walk into that room in the bank, you would not see a hole. It would just look like an undisturbed room. No oh. one will know how they escaped. <laughs> My gosh. The men get to the sewer and they find two small boats. They're attached to one another. One of them has a motor. And Fernando gets on the boat without a motor and he sort of sprawls over on top of this loot. I guess they didn't want to put bungee cords on the boat. I don't know. So Fernando becomes essentially a human bungee cord. And the goal was that the first boat was going to drag him and the other guys to where they need to go. However, the motor doesn't start. They begin to panic. They have to go now. But they plan for this as well. There's paddles in the boat. So they get out and they start to row like they're on a river safari cruise in the sewers. They're just a few manholes away, like 14 blocks or so. And then they're there. So they jump out of the boats. They climb up through the manhole. They get inside the van that has the hole cut in the bottom. They load all their loot. And meanwhile, back at the bank, the cops are like, wow, it's gotten very quiet in there. What's going on? The men are now at the safe house. They've succeeded. Mission accomplished. They're dividing the money between them and putting them in trash bags. The getaway driver would later say there was money everywhere. They have hundreds of thousands of dollars all split between them. And at the end of it, they see this $20 bill and they can't split it evenly. So they just decide to rip it up. It's the fair whoa, thing to whoa, do. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think that's illegal. Quint, spoiler alert, none of this is legal. <laughs> oh, that, well, that's true. <laughs> they turn on the news and they get lucky, man. They get to see just in time the cops going into the bank. Oh, what must have been so surreal. It's now just after seven o'clock. It's three hours after they've made their escape. And the police have decided that having lost all communication, they have no choice but to go in. So they smash through a window. They run in guns drawn. They find the hostages spread out all over the bank. And then the police realize that the robbers aren't even there. 
One police officer says they evaporated. After more searching, the cops finally find the hole. They find this hole behind the shelf and they're like, wow, they must have crawled through this. And inside it, they find booby traps in the form of fake bombs. And there's a note directly from Fernando. It reads in Spanish, in a rich neighborhood without weapons or grudges, it's just money and not love. The Donatello Project's reported take is somewhere in the vicinity of $20 million. Pretty quick after the robbery, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles decide to go away for a little while, you know, just in case you can never be too sure. So Fernando heads to San Juan to go backpacking. That, for the record, would not be my first choice if I was newly rich. But at the same time, I, probably the smartest choice, you know? Sure, Nobody, but yeah. I have a backpack filled with money. You're not going to catch me cooking beans on a <laughs> camping stove. That's not where I'm headed. <laughs> Guaranteed. I'll hide out, but I'm getting, um, I'm getting some delivery at least. But he's so filled with energy, you know, like you were talking about. He's buzzing. So I think that he, he has to go on the run. He has to get this energy out. Yeah. And so when he does so, he brings a police scanner, you know, just for good measure. Marito, meanwhile, goes to Uruguay. He's feeling great. He's, you know, out of jail. He's been spending a lot of time there in his life, and that's not where he is right now. And his pockets are full, and he's with his family, and he's just happy as a clam. Or, you know, like maybe happy as an oyster with a big pearl in its shell. Beto and Alicia, their business is doing really well. I mean, they do have a big flux of income, so it's pretty great for them. But their marriage isn't doing so great. You know, you can't buy love. You've heard it before. Here we are again. But Beto stays focused on his priorities. In this case, that's ditching any evidence that will tie him to this crime. So at night, he kind of gets out of the house, he goes on walks, and slowly he sort of just starts getting rid of any evidence that he has. So Beto, all of the cash is still in the trash bag that he originally brought it home in. And one night, he notices that it feels a little lighter. It seems a little low. And so he asks his wife, Alicia, you know, did you take some of this money? And she's very quick to say, oh, yeah, for sure I did. I took about $300,000. And then he notices a few days later that there's some sterling pounds that he had hidden in another location and that was gone. He's like, hey, Alicia, what's going on? He asks her to bring them back and she absolutely refuses to do so. He then takes what remains and he leaves home with it. And Alicia is pissed. She is peeved. She's not having it. No, and we don't really know what went down between Alicia and Beto before the cops got called. That's a mystery. Beto changes his story. Alicia never really publicly tells hers. But the one thing we do hear a lot is that Beto was driving around town with another woman when he got pulled over by the cops. Apparently, Alicia thought he was going to try to flee the country with this woman and all the money. So Beto knew right away that she had ratted them out. Marito's on a beach with his family and his phone rings. It's Doc, and really the rumors are flying at this point. He tells him, I think Beto's wife has betrayed us. She's asking us each to pay her 300000 and if we don't, she'll give us up. And Marito is not faced by this. He's like, you know what? She can f*** herself. 
The DA claims that Alicia wasn't their only line of information, that they have phone records linking all of the men to one another. But it's the question stands, didn't they need one person to then? It feels like maybe Alicia did sort of set this off. At first, Fernando isn't that worried. I mean, he's bummed, but not freaked out. After all, Alicia only saw him once and, you know, he didn't give her his name or anything. I mean, how could she ID him? But then he gets word that Sebastian's been arrested. The getaway driver, Julian, gets arrested. The van is found burned, and that's when he knows his goose is cooked. The cops are really closing in. Marito is told by his lawyers to come back to Argentina, and he gets on the plane. And when eventually they arrest him, he insists that he was in Uruguay at the time of the robbery. And out in the wilderness is our man Fernando. He's walking along, and he's approached by two guys. They pull out a rifle, and they tell him he is under arrest. And he feels surprisingly calm about it. Yeah, and he should be. It's not really the worst situation he's seen Um, the judge gives him house arrest, actually, and says he can go to the gym every day and do martial arts instruction while he waits for his trial, which doesn't come for four more years. You know, dang it, right? It's like this pesky Beto and his (gasps) wife. It's like we knew. Yeah, it's almost like we knew where the story was going. I just can't believe these guys were totally in the clear after all this hard work and then to be taken down so easily it for such a it feels like for such a sort of silly domestic dispute <laughs> is what really leads to to their ruin totally i mean the only silver lining i will say is that because they were caught we now know what happened and can tell you this story so that's my silver lining i don't think they see it as such i also think it's interesting that like alicia she was punishing herself too. Like this is the father of her kid and he has all this money. It's a little like you really couldn't see the forest for the trees. Like she could have held this over his head for years, you know, and gotten money that way. It just feels a little bit like you threw the baby out with the bathwater or as I like to say, you threw the husband out with the loot. (laughs) You know that old (laughs) adage. Seems like she could take a, a lesson from Fernando or Sebastian in uh, making plans, right? Yeah. Go out for a walk. Hey, if you're upset, take a walk. Eat something, you know? Drink a glass of water. Don't rat out your husband who has hundreds of thousands of dollars that you can have access to. It just seems a little foolish. It's February 2010, and it's time for the trial that has been deemed the robbery of the century. About 600 witnesses will testify. And in the trial, it comes out that the robbers apparently sang happy birthday to one of the hostages. There was also word that the hostages were able to talk on their phones to their relatives to let them know that they were safe. Yeah, it's painting kind of a nice picture um, of our main characters. And then comes the issue of the weapons. So this is the real thing this case hangs on. The men had known that the sentence was going to be far different if they used real guns, even if they'd never fired them. Security guards at the bank claim that these were absolutely real firearms that they saw, but it seems like the guns that were left at the scene were all toys. And, you know, 
Not to put too fine a point on it, but they are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so that does seem very fitting. The court finds enough to support this, that there were no real weapons used. Julian, who is the getaway driver, he got 10 years. Beto, who was the muscle and the one who ratted out all of his friends because he was having affairs, he got 15 years. Sebastian, the engineer, got nine years. Fernando, the mastermind of this whole plan, our cannabis-smoking artist, he got 14 years. That day in the garage, Doc and the kid were not there. And so Alicia was never able to describe those two, and so they never got caught. But none of the men, even the ones that got caught, ended up serving those sentences we just told you about in full. Today, all the men are free, and they are celebrated for this notorious heist. Their story was in fact immortalized in a 2020 thriller comedy movie, The Heist of the Century. And Fernando says of the robbery, you know what? In the end, all the participants in the story won. The district attorneys were promoted. The police officers became commissioners. The judges were awarded. The victims got back more than they had. The game ended with everyone winning. All of the thieves were shortlisted for a Sir Award, which is basically the Argentinian Oscars, in connection to their work on the movie, The Heist of the Century. In fact, funny enough, it was his desire to work on the film that made Sebastian say for the very first time publicly that he was in on the crime. The men who committed this crime have become folk heroes, essentially. Not only that, but the hall from this Banco Rio heist, it was never recovered. It's not clear how much money they took from the bank. Um, And in the end, they won't say. They won't divulge it. And they will not say if some of it is squirreled away somewhere. Uh, um, It is, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, there's been no extensive effort to recover this money owing to insurance and the bank's agreement with the victims. But by some accounts, what was taken is between 20 and $70 million. This heist caused cops to adapt their hostage protocol a bit and never assume that what appears to be happening is the actual full story. And they call this precaution the man in the gray suit protocol. Carrie, I love this story. Quinn, I love this story too. I love everything about it. I I love it, but it does, you know what? It makes me question my own life choices because I've always considered myself an artist And above that, a turtle at heart. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So this like really speaks to you on like a lot of different levels. I mean, listen, I think it's pretty amazing myself. I mean, the fact that they became folk heroes in their country is pretty wild, right? Like, I think to me that speaks a lot to the distrust that they have in the banking system, that it felt like these guys were sort of like Robin Hood. It was just fun. And no one got hurt. They clearly had good intentions or nice intentions. Yeah, I think what was what's so wild to me is like it seems to be very obvious that they all still have some of this money hidden somewhere. Absolutely. Um, I know they recovered some of it. Like, I know that they just happened to find it. But, like, I really, really think, especially um, in watching the documentary about this, that Marito <laughs> is, like, very sassy <laughs> when they ask him about it. He's, like, sitting in a hot tub and he's like, well, 
I think he jokes with them where they're like, where's the money? And he goes, oh, it's in bank account number. And he starts to just list numbers and then he laughs and then just slips under the water in the hot tub. Like he's like, just <laughs> like, come on, you guys. Obviously, I have the money. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about it. And it it gives me like a smile. Of course. Well, similarly, there's an interview in GQ that Sebastian is giving. And at the end, they talk about how they had like a couple of bottles of wine. They had food. He's smoking a joint. And when the interviewer goes to pay for it, he looks at the interviewer and he goes, no, 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 no. Tonight, it's on Banco Rio. Like, they all fully, like, cop to it. I will say it's a, it's a decent investment at this point. Here's, wh- here's where I think it's unforgiven. If they have, like, heirlooms that families have, that, to me, like, priceless artifacts can't be replaced. I don't love that, okay? The family that lost, like, their great-grandmother's prize necklace are probably really sad, and they don't want the money. They just want the necklace back. Well, not only that, but even though they didn't hurt anybody, I, d- I would feel – you know, remiss to not say that if you're in that bank and somebody's got a toy gun and they're telling you that you might die. It probably feels real. You don't feel great. And I don't think you feel great for a while after that. And I think when you hear it was a big trick and an art project and a fake gun, I don't know that that changes any PTSD you potentially have from the situation. Right. Well, one thing's for sure. I did like this pack of thieves. They all seem to be pretty stand-up guys, maybe with the exception of Beto, who I'm a little bit judging for driving around with other women. I don't like how careless this guy is, right? Like, he's like, hey, everyone, here's my wife. And then... She hates me. (laughs) He's the loose end. He's the loose end. Yeah. And they did it at his house. It's a little like, oh, God. But at the same time, I said it once and I'll say it before... I'm happy they got caught so that we can tell this story because it's a pretty great story. And meanwhile, a couple of them didn't. How how bad do you want to know how uh, how Doc and the kid are doing out there with their full share never having been caught? I hope they're on hinge and you meet one of them. Oh, I do too. I'm single. Come find me. <laughs> <laughs> Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime and stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it just might be the case we talk about next. We used many sources in our research for today's episode. Among the most helpful were the following. An article from GQ entitled The Great Buenos Aires Bank Heist by Josh Dean and a Netflix documentary entitled Bank Robbers, The Last Great Heist. We highly recommend you check out these sources if you'd like to learn more. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us. Quinlan Posner. And Carrie Ipema. Our sound designer and editor is Hansdale Shee. Our senior producer is John Thrasher. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer, and Jesse Katz is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.